I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Today's reading comes from John chapter 20, verse 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. 
Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. So there's this feeling that I get. There's this feeling that comes over me when I go to the mailbox and I pull out the Easter flyer from Kohl's. Every time I see this flyer, this feeling just kind of washes over me. This year, there was a family of four on the front of it. A man, a woman, a son, a daughter, because what other kind of family is there? (laughs) And they're all wearing pastels, and they're holding hands, and, well, they're burning my eyes with their very white smile. And the flyer says something like this. Spring into Easter, and this very good-looking family of four appear to be doing just that. They're frolicking in a flowery garden, and they're jumping in the air in their pastel, color-coordinated outfits, and while they hold hands together with their giant smiles that don't even seem fake, which even makes it worse, (laughs) there are no stains on their son's white britches. And the daughter is not grimacing because her dress is too itchy. The man and woman don't even look at all in their face like, what are we doing jumping around in a garden when we have 17 people to feed for Easter dinner? There's this feeling that washes over me when I receive the Coles Easter flyer. And that feeling is, yes, yes, that's what Easter should look like. That's what Easter should look like. It should. It should feel light and sunshiny. It should feel like frolicking in a field and smiling with gigantic white teeth. It should feel like perfect relational harmony, like there are no cares in the world at all. When I look at my Coles flyer, I think that's what Easter should feel like. So why doesn't it? It's the same feeling I get when later today I will scroll through my social media feed and see beautiful family photos, families on porches, families in front of pigs, families in front of fireplaces, smiling and and looking like they're getting along in perfect harmony in their color-coordinated outfits. Easter should feel like this, right? So why doesn't it? Part of me thinks, well, maybe Easter doesn't feel that way for me. The people on the Coles Flyer and my friends on social media, they must have a life that's far more put together than mine is. They must be more calm than I am. Their dogs must like those pastel bandanas more than my dog does. Their kids must be better behaved than the ones here. I mean, I don't know. The truth is, you and I know better. We know that the models from Coles are paid a generous amount to look pretty and to look happy. And we know that we know the whining and tears and the so help me God if you don't stand stills that went into those pictures in front of the fireplaces, right? There, there's no telling the work that went into making those glory moments. But we persist nonetheless. There, there seems to be this primal need in us to make the Coles Flyer our Easter moment, 
to make this day of resurrection somehow a day where life appears to be brand new and squeaky clean, a day where life appears, our lives appear like we're brand spanking new, where we appear to the world like there's nothing wrong with us. We're happy people about Jesus's rising from the dead and the way his rising seems to snap our lives into perfection that we can't help but put on our color coordinated outfits and our big white smiles. And as I stand here in tights that are cutting off the circulation in my midsection, I, I wonder, I wonder what Jesus might say to me if he descended on our little slice of paradise at Knoll's Produce today. I, I think he might start off by saying, Michelle, I love you, and I wish for you to put on yoga pants before noon today. And then and then I think Jesus would lean in closely and gently remind me how much of a joke this all is. Jesus would lean in gently and remind me what actually took place that first morning. It, it starts out on a morning that's so early it's still dark and Mary, one of Jesus' disciples, is making her way to the tomb to tend to his body with oils and ointments. And when she gets there, the stone has been rolled away and Mary takes off running. And she goes and finds Simon Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved, which cracks me up every single year. John, the writer of this gospel, could have just referred to himself as me. <laughs> and he refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved over and over and over again. So the disciple that Jesus loved points out that he's the first one to the tomb. He's the one who got there first. Again, why are these details necessary? Other than the fact that there is no relational harmony at the tomb. These people are in competition with each other to be the best disciple to be in Jesus's corner. And we can imagine that when they get there, Simon Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved stand there with Mary in front of this open tomb, not with bright white smiles on their face, but with gaping wide open mouths and furled brows because they look inside and it's empty. And that is not good news. The body is gone. Not only did they kill our Lord, but now they have stolen our Lord's body. There, there's no frolicking through this garden, leaping through this garden. Simon Peter and the other disciple, they, they understood. And then the story says they didn't understand. And then the story says they believed. And then the story says they didn't believe. The story seems to be very unclear what happened in that moment, except to say that Simon Peter... And the disciple that Jesus loved, their shoulders fell in disappointment. And then they walked back to where they were staying. But Mary, Mary stays behind. And in the tomb appears before her two angels. And the angels ask her, woman, why are you crying? And then she hears some rustling behind her and she sees a man. She doesn't recognize this man. And the man asks her the same question. Mary, why are you crying? No bright smiles. Mary is weeping. Mary looks the man up and down, and she thinks he's the gardener. Now, this is the moment in our story that ought to strike down once and for all any Coles Flyer misconceptions of this story. This is the moment that should help us know that what Jesus would have said if he walked into our little slice of paradise at Knoll's today. 
he would have said this, Mary didn't think I was an angel. Mary didn't think I was a king. Mary did not see a glow around me. Mary didn't think I was some model Jesus, blonde hair, blue eyes. That's a joke. Mary thought I was the gardener. People who spend time in a garden, people who work at Knolls, will know it's messy. They wear clothes with holes in them and paint stains in them. Their, their knees are scratched and stained from kneeling on the ground. Their hands are torn up from, from tending to the rose bushes and the dirt. The dirt is everywhere. The dirt is all over them. The dirt is in their fingernails and on their backside. The dirt is everywhere. And so when Mary looks up that day and sees Jesus, she must have seen something dirty, something kind of smelly, someone who had been working hard, tending hard, someone who had shown up early to do the hard work of tending to the grounds there, scratched up, fingernails caked with mud, smelly, the gardener. And Jesus chuckles as if he knows the punchline of God's greatest joke and we do not. The gardener, this is what resurrection looks like. Jesus returns, of course, to the land of the living. He's restored to life, but he is not the same. Tradition tells us that Jesus' body was placed in the tomb, and then he descended into hell. There's actually a version of the creed where we profess that we believe in a God who descended into hell. There's this poem that imagines what this could have been like, this poem that thinks about the hours between crucifixion and resurrection morning. The poem imagines Jesus with a shovel and a rake, digging up those who had been buried in death and raising them to life. That in this in-between time, Jesus took on the dirty task of overcoming death itself, dousing it in love and mercy and tenderness until death was reduced to nothing. And then in his own body, Jesus clawed through the dirt and the rock, inching his way back to life and pulling up all the dead things with him. When Jesus returns to life, he, he's restored, but he's not the same. His body bears the marks of the nails. His face is smeared with the dust of Golgotha. His hands are swollen and cracked from clawing the dead from their tombs. He smells of dirt and sweat. Overcoming death is, is no small thing. Jesus' body is marked with the work of dragging us to life. And I wonder if sometimes, if we do a disservice on Easter, in all its beauty and paradise, when we have lilies and adorned crosses and enthusiastic hallelujahs, I wonder if we miss part of the story. I wonder if we miss the punchline of resurrection. I wonder if we think it's somehow easy, it's not hard at all, that it's light and airy and packaged in pastels and bright white smiles, that it looks like perfect outfits and perfect relationships and perfect clarity about what's to come in our lives. It's like frolic fro frolicking through life. I know it's pretty unique to bring Easter to a farmer's market slash nursery slash produce stand. I know it's pretty unique and appropriate for us to be at Knolls this morning. 
But it might be more accurate for us to have Easter Sunday on a construction site or at a CrossFit gym somewhere that's full of dirt and sweat because that's what resurrection looks like. I don't have to tell you this, you know this. Throughout the season of Lent, we have wondered together what things in our lives need to die so that we might be raised, clawed out of the grave by God. We've asked Jesus to descend into those hellish places in our lives to do the hard work of digging us out. And on either side of me this morning, I have a version of that, a story for that. On this side, our congregation throughout the season of Lent has been writing our prayers on the back of broken pieces of pottery. And today you find a whole cross, God taking our brokenness and together in unity, making us whole in corporate worship together. And then on this side of me, we have a cross we've used throughout Holy Week to nail our nails, to, to, nail, to nail to the cross our prayers and our deepest longings and our deepest sins, to tie on the cross with a string those things in our life that need to be finished, over, done. And now we weave into that flowers because God brings new life out of our messy, messy places. Not only that, though, it's not only the pain in our personal lives, it's the pain in the world. We look around and we hear the song of death played everywhere, don't we? Division and anger and bombs and shootings and refugees without homes. Death's not going to let go without a fight. And yet the promise of this morning is not that we're going to frolic in the fields later on today when the sun hopefully comes out. That's a joke. The promise of this morning is that Jesus has already overcome death, that, that the pain and the darkness and the grappling for peace and wholeness, that, that they may just be Jesus dragging us and the world out of death. So if the story of Good Friday tells us anything, it tells us, there is no hellish place that God will not descend. If the story of Easter morning tells us anything, it's that the work of resurrection is not easy, and it, but it is ultimately done. And if the fact that Easter and April Fool's Day fall on the same day for the first time in 60 years tells us anything, it's that resurrection is God's greatest joke that in the resurrected Jesus, God gets the last laugh over the grave by ripping to shred our pastel, perfect family pictures, smearing a little dirt on our face, and showing up in the mess to say, resurrection looks like this. If you feel messy today, if you look around at all this and you think, resurrection's supposed to look like this, why doesn't it? If you feel messy and smelly, maybe it's because, metaphorically, maybe it's because you and Jesus have been digging out the things that have tried to kill you. Maybe even now you're wearing resurrection and we don't notice it. And if Jesus were to walk into this little slice of paradise today, he might say to you, I love you. Look at you clawing towards life. Look at you doing the hard work of resurrection. It's messy and it's dirty. And on the other side, you will not look the same, but you will look like resurrection. Christ is risen indeed. The Lord be with you, also with you. Let us pray. God, thank you for 
the gift of chickens growing, the gift of flowers and family and chicks for coffee and donuts and a day full of festivities. Thank you, God. These are witnesses to your resurrection, to the hallelujahs that we sing today. But some of us here, that does not look like resurrection. In fact, we don't know when resurrection is coming. We've been stuck in our Good Fridays for far too long, and we're sick and tired of it. We feel like our world has been stuck in Good Friday. God, how long, O Lord, will this last? And so we desperately try to claw our way out, claw our way out of the grave, and then we're reminded that we cannot do that on our own, that the whole reason why you died and descended into hell for those few hours was to help us claw our way back to life. If we're feeling stained, spotted, not good enough, not worthy enough of your love today, God, we remember the resurrected Jesus with holy jeans and a gardener's pick and dirt under his fingernails. And we, we remember what resurrection looks like. We pray all of this in Jesus' name who taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.